I'm Hannah. I'm Sheena. And I'm Lori. And this is Cemetery Row. Woohoo! I am cold. <laughs> um, and I had two alcoholic beverages last night and stayed up till midnight. So I'm wow, also. Wow, Hannah, are you on meth? I know. Did you have a your date? We didn't talk yes. about that pre-show. Yes. Okay. I did. We need. I did. We we'll need talk date about it the after later. Show. Yeah. 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 Yes. I meant to ask you about that earlier. I am running on very strong coffee and a whole lot of ibuprofen. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. So um, hi everyone. We hope everyone's hi, doing well. Everybody. Hello. One of these days, I'm going to open with "Hello, my future girlfriend." This is what I, <laughs> what sound, I sound like. like. <laughs> oh my god, I can still do the whole thing. God. Um. So yeah. So it's been a month. Um, yeah. Happy belated birthday to Revenge Body, who created Woo-hoo. our uh, theme song. Um. Thank I don't you, sir. remember. I don't remember if we shouted him out on the last episode or not, but we did on our socials. So go peruse his band camp and, and buy some music because, you know, we got to support our local creators. And he even though did, he's not local to you, <laughs> he's local to some of us. And he did that out of the goodness of his heart for us. And mm-hmm. we greatly yes. appreciate it. So yeah, absolutely. So yeah so um february is the month of love and that's what we're discussing today so i hope everyone had a nice valentine's day and if you didn't i hope you went and bought a lot of uh half price candy on the yes. 15th discount that to chocolate. me is the real holiday here exactly <laughs> um before we get started we have a little bit of news and updates and, and all that good stuff um, I wanted to mention that Elmwood Cemetery, you know, the, the cemetery I talk about constantly on here out of Memphis, um, we had a ice storm in Memphis a couple of weeks ago, and it was really, really bad for the city of Memphis. It was, I think, the third most damaging ice storm we've ever had. There's still um, people without power. I think so. Yeah. 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 It's been mm-hmm. wild. Like, I know a lot of people who didn't have power for over a week people who were trapped in their homes like it was it was gnarly but as you can imagine a cemetery full of old trees and elmwood is a and level three arboretum uh they had a lot of damage and they are closed to the public because they are still picking up limbs and chunks of trees and probably needing to remove a lot of those trees that can't be salvaged so um which is weird. I've never known them to be closed for this long. Um, and I'm hoping that, that they will reopen soon. Um, so they need some help cleaning up and they have a fundraiser going on right now. So if you feel so led, or if you just want to do something nice for your fellow man, please consider donating to Elmwood. Um, they have a donation button on their website. It's elmwoodcemetery.org. And when you go there, it'll take you directly to the page where it explains what happened with the ice storm and how they're giving back so or or how they're trying to clean up so you can say you can go on there and have your name and your donation and say i'm giving back to elmwood um so please consider doing that um i've done it already but you know just encouraging you to do so yes absolutely Um, 
Speaking of Elmwood, please don't forget my true crime tours are coming up in March. I have one that is indoors and seated. If you don't want to go and walk, which is understandable, or if you, <laughs> or if you can't, hey, that's cool. I'll still tell you about some uh, some interesting dead folk. Um, I'm you know I definitely want this tour to be available for everyone. And then I have two walking tours. So um, I know some people have already told me like, I've got my ticket. So like, I'm super excited. So I'm just waiting on you, Cemetery Road listeners. Um, And you can get tickets to that through that elmwoodcemetery.org website as well. So Um, yeah. And also, so uh, content advisory, there is yeah. going to be talk of self-harm and suicide and that sort of stuff at several points in this episode. Um, and as a crew who has struggled with their mental health, please know that if you are having these kinds of, of thoughts or feelings, you're not alone. There's nothing wrong with you. Please reach out for help. Um, there is a crisis text line. Um, if just talking to a human is just too much right now, it's completely understandable. Mm-hmm. Um, text seven, four, one, seven, four, one, um, 24, seven It's completely free. And you can text with a crisis counselor. Um, you can also call, um, let me find this is just for their text line. Um, if you go to crisistextline.org, they also have a chat bot um, that you can chat with. Um, so reach out um, if none of those options work for you. Um, you know, a lot of times they'll tell you to call 911. I'm not going to tell you to do that um, as that does not work out for everybody. Nope, um, sure doesn't. But do consider getting to your local ER if at all possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and they will, you know, it sounds scary, but they will, you know, get you in touch with those resources that can help you. Um, just know that whatever you're going through is temporary. Yep. So do not use a permanent solution to a temporary problem. Um And again, you know, um, none of us are licensed professional mental health (laughs) people, um, but we've been through it. So reach out and, you know, if not, you know, somebody, somebody's always going to be there for you. We promise. And again, everything is temporary. This too shall pass. Um, Don't, you know. It's not the best option. It really and truly isn't. And I can speak from personal experience. So, yeah, Yeah, I mean, that was something I wanted to talk about in the the previous episode, but I think I'm not sure if she, what was a thing I wanted to bring up was the um, suicide of, um, I will always get her name mixed up. Chesley. Yeah. Um, She was Miss USA, I think. And um, a model and on TV and all this beautiful, Mm -hmm. beautiful woman who seemed to have it all and and she completed suicide a couple of weeks ago and yeah. it's it's very much one of those stories of my god why would someone so beautiful and seemingly have it all why won't you do this right and it's so easy to hide it yeah absolutely you know like get reach out people care and people want you here um so yeah but yeah my story today is especially gnarly and I think y'all's are too. So yeah. even though this uh, this episode is supposed to be themed 
love. It is Cemetery um, Row after all. It love is Cemetery gone wrong. Row. It's love gone wrong. It's love and the lack thereof. That's what I think I'm going to call the episode because right. I'm like a, a, uh, obsession ugh. is a more uh, accurate yeah. term, I think. Yeah, for sure. So, are y'all ready to get started? Yes, Let's ma'am. Do Let's do it. Woohoo. Okay, I have two stories today. One is much longer, the other one is much shorter. The shorter one is the happier of the story if you can consider death happy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> so the first story is kind of long. I apologize in advance. It is um super triggering, I think if you have been in an abusive relationship, it is red flag central. There are red flags just start pulling them out and just throwing them in the air because (laughs) and yes there's a lot of talk of suicide so um just warning you just warning you and if you've been on my true crime tour you have heard this story um but i have a lot more details this time because i did a lot more research so fun um i think that's what we're gonna call it yeah (laughs) All right. So the first story that I'm going to tell you about is one of the most, it's called the most sensational crime of the 19th century in Memphis. So picture it, Memphis, Tennessee, 1892. Oh boy. The Bluff City is scandalized by a teenage love affair that ended in murder. So Frida Ward and Alice Mitchell are two teenage girls. They met at Higby's School for Young Ladies in Memphis. Sounds like a fun place to learn your arithmetic. Also sounds like Um, a fun place to get into some lesbian drama. Yes. That's exactly what happened. (laughs) Uh, These two ladies fell in love and they did nothing to hide their relationship really. Good for them. Exactly. Hugging, kissing, snuggling, all of this was considered normal for young young girls. They called it chumming. Um, Uh It was considered practice for their future relationships with men. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, Sure. And and so, and, and Frida was especially like into doing all of this with Alice. I think Alice understood the danger of it and, and tried to hide it a little more, but Either way, from the beginning, Alice was much more interested in and basically obsessed with Frida more than Frida was into Alice. Um, Sometime between 1890 and 1891, Frida's family, uh, which included her widowed father, her older sisters, Ada and Josephine, uh, who they called Joe, and her brother, William, all moved from Memphis to Goldust, Tennessee. And that's just about two counties north it's a short little steamboat ride up the river so because they still lived relatively close to each other they kept the relationship going and they wrote endless letters to each other they would visit each other and stay for weeks at a time sleeping in the same bed uh-huh. which i would argue at you know these houses may not have had like a guest room like i don't know and I will say with female friendships as a That's group more of ladies common. who have slept in the same bed and yeah. Oh, yeah. definitely were not doing yeah. anything untoward, like female friendships, there is no, no homo in female yeah. friendships. Yeah. You are all yeah. up in each other's shit. <laughs> we are. And so I'm like, 
the fact that that came out and it was like, oh my God, they slept in the same bed together. I'm like, like, okay, cool. I've done that with both of y'all. Like that is every single one of my, like we have gotten dressed in front of each other. It is not a big deal. You know, and how old were they when this, uh, when the murder happened, Alice was 19, Frida was 17. Oh yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't realize they were that young. Yeah. Yeah. They're very very young. No. Um, so yeah. So, um, one of the first of many red flags was that, um, Alice would use these visits to visit Frida to question her family and friends about who she was seeing, how close they were almost considering them like informants. Oh, that's not healthy. That's not healthy. And Frida did openly flirt with boys. I'm not going to sit here and say, they were both lesbians i'm not going to say frida was bisexual i don't know those like i think i read somewhere that the word lesbian didn't show up for another 40 years it's possible after this but i i I, i'm i would think alice would be a lesbian but and frida i don't know because here's the thing about frida frida was 17 incredibly outgoing very flirtatious she wanted to be a singer and an actress she sang in the church she was a kid that really loved the spotlight and i think she craved a lot of attention no matter who it was from you know so right. i don't want to say that automatically makes her bisexual that's that's a big leap well <laughs> so, and then what they were considering flirtatious back in the day could have just yeah. been her being you know yeah. a little bit extra yeah yeah um but she did get engaged to boys we will get to that okay um, but first, we're going to talk about her engagement to Alice. Um, in 1891, Alice wrote to Frida and proposed. Uh, she said that she would dress as a man and go by Alvin Ward, and, or Alvin Mitchell, sorry. Uh, she would dress as a man and they would marry in Memphis, but then move to St. Louis, where she would work full-time support, to support them both. And just like I don't want to put a label on them i don't think alice would identify as trans i think she no. literally saw dressing as a man as a means to marry frida i don't think right she, yeah. yeah was gonna live as alvin yeah i mean she kind of was but not at home right know? um and there's more talk later about her being a tomboy and all that but either way right um but she uh frida did accept the proposal and alice sent her a ring that was inscribed um with from a to f oh but around this same time frida was also sort of engaged to a local guy in gold dust a guy named ashley roselle um of course his name is ashley i know yeah (laughs) um but if let's just get ready for this other red flag in eight in august of 1891 when alice found out about this Alice wrote to Frida and said, if you only knew it, you were getting me in trouble. I love you, Fred, and I would kill Ashley before I would see him take you from me. You think I'm only saying that for fun, but I really mean it. I know you love him, but if you would tell me the truth about it and wouldn't be so mean, I would not be so jealous. My God, the red flags. I mean, this is a communist parade of red flags. I'm like, honey... I hate that at the beginning, if you only knew it, you're getting me in trouble. Ugh. Like, don't put it on her. Like, no, 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 no. You're She's, making your choices, my friend. You're making your own choices here. Oh my God. It's so messed up. And Alice 
meant she was going to get in trouble. She actually went out to Memphis to um, price out pistols because she wanted to go oh, shoot boy. and kill Ashley. Um, and the only reason she didn't buy one because they were all too big for her. Um, <laughs> well, she did. Uh, that's fair. Yeah. She did meet with Ashley twice and was like, are you doing? And later when Ashley uh, testified at her trial, which more on that a little bit, uh, he said Alice seemed mentally unstable and that she threatened to kill herself, which is a um, theme that will. If anyone ever tells you, I will kill myself if you leave me, leave them. Because whatever they do is not your responsibility. No, it's not. No, it's not. Um, And Frida knew that Alice was known to threaten suicide um at some point she had actually drank some poison and meant for frida to drink it too so they would die together but it wasn't enough to kill her so it was like oh no big deal which i'm like that's a big deal yeah yeah no that's a big deal yeah so in the same time in about august of 1891 ada frida's older sister um found the couple's letters and find out that she found out that they were planning to run away together and get married. And so she forbade Frida from seeing or speaking to Alice ever again. And then of course she wrote to both Alice and her mother, Isabella. And she explained to Isabella about the girl's relationship and their plans to marry. And she told both Isabella and Alice, you know, this is over, no more communication. Right. So this sent Alice, as you can imagine, into a very deep depression. She stopped eating and sleeping. Um, She would just spend her time rereading her love letters from Frida. And something that has always bothered me, she would often sign letters or anything, any kind of communication as Frida Ward. Um, She had been doing this for the last two years, though, but I think it increased. Um. So Alice continued to write to Frida, even though they were forbidden, she would disguise her name, um, but Frida never responded. And so this is just making Alice, of course, as you can imagine, just more and more upset. And then in January, 1892, Alice learned that Frida and her sister, Joe were visiting Memphis. So Alice again, wrote to Frida, tried to see her. Um, No response. She Ugh. saw Frida out in the street. I don't think Frida saw her. And that was like, oh my God, she didn't speak to me. And it's like, babe, I don't think she saw you. Um, but finally on January 18th, Frida responded to Alice. And she said she was going to obey her sister and, and never speak to Alice again. She's like, we're cutting this off. Ugh. She said, I love you now and always will, but I've been forget- forbidden to speak to you and I have to obey. If I've done you any harm or caused you any trouble, I humbly beg your forgiveness. Um, Frida mentioned in that letter that they were going to take a ship back to gold dust that night, but Memphis was in the middle of this pretty random, heavy snowstorm. Imagine which, that. Okay, <laughs> we don't get very often. No. So all the steamships were on very irregular schedules. So Alice, though, goes to the docks that night, determined to find Frida to, quote unquote, say goodbye. She even gets on the ship and looks around, can't find her. So Alice wrote her on January 21st, and she is just steaming mad. She is so angry at her. She asks for some of her things back. She threatens to tell Frida's sister that she did write to her, even though she was forbidden from writing to her 
Um, and then she basically is like, Hey, I know that there are all these other steamships that are supposed to be leaving in the next couple of days, basically saying, I'm going to be there for all of them until I find oh, you essentially. Damn. She doesn't come out and say it, but that's very much what you. Yeah. Um, that's what, what we're picking up on. Yeah. yeah it, it's, it's, it's not a pretty letter. So by Monday, January 25th, uh, it was still cold outside, but it was pretty. Um, but the streets were covered in ice and snow and mud and you know how Memphis likes to get when, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> when it gets a little wet, we just get muddy. Um, so that afternoon, Alice asked her friend, Lily Johnson to accompany her downtown. Alice, Lily, Frida, and Joe. So this is the couple, Alice and Frida, and then Frida's sister, Joe, and then Lily, they had all been super close. Like they had sort of been this quartet of friends but lily and joe really didn't understand how close frida and alice were and so when joe cut off ties to alice or when ada said you know you can't have anything else to do with alice anymore joe also cut off contact with lily and so lily was like wait why can't i talk to the wards anymore she didn't understand she didn't get it and so she's kind of like i'm not sure why we're all our friendship is all sort of broken up but she thought that maybe they had all reconciled somehow and they were going to go see frida and joe off at the docks right right cool lily was babysitting her nephew and she's like well let's take him along so oh they're boy. like cool yeah let's bring a kid to this lesbian meltdown this will be yeah fun. yeah yeah <laughs> um yeah it's about to get bloody um <laughs> so the three of them get into alice's buggy and they go to the house where they knew frida and joe were staying they were staying with a family friend and they watched them leave and they followed them downtown to the riverbank um, they actually passed Frida and Joe and Alice parked the buggy a little ways away to where I don't think Lily could really see what was happening. And she jumps out and she runs toward the sisters and Lily says, what are you doing? And Alice said, I'm going to see Fred once more. So Frida and her sister, it, it's, you know, about 3 PM in downtown Memphis on a Monday you can imagine how busy it is broad daylight mm-hmm. very slippery with ice here there and yonder mud everywhere and the sisters were going kind of slowly down the street trying to not fall and get in mud blah 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 so alice manages to catch up with them in her pocket she carried the last letter that frida had written to her as well as her father's razor which she had been carrying around for a while oh She walks up to, or she walked up to the sisters and she cut Frida across the face. Joe tries to fight Alice off with her umbrella, which that enraged Alice. So she cut Joe on her collarbone and Joe screamed, Alice, you dirty dog, you'll hang for this. Oh, and Alice said, I don't care if I'm hung. I want to die anyhow. Oh, Jesus. Frida, meanwhile, is struggling to run away. As I said, it's slippery and muddy and gross, and she's trying to safely run, but she's also been attacked, so she's bleeding, and it's just a mess. So Alice easily caught up to her, and she grabbed Frida by the neck and cut her throat. Jesus. Frida was 17, and she bled out and died. Oh, my God. So Alice 
who, as I said earlier, was 19 at the time of this attack. Um, her original plan was to actually slit her own throat right after killing Frida so the pair of them could bleed out together on the streets oh, of Memphis. Good grief. Yeah. But because it was so busy and everyone obviously is like turning around looking at her because she just murdered her girlfriend in broad daylight in downtown Memphis. Right. And Joe was attacking her. She knew she couldn't do it. So Alice runs back to the buggy and jumps in and drives away. And Lily and her nephew are like, what? Because she's clearly <laughs> covered in blood. And she's like, I'm sorry, what just happened? And Alice said, I have cut Frida's throat. And then she asked for the quickest way to kill herself, um, which I'm sure this nephew was like, what? <laughs> um, poor child. I'm sure that didn't fuck him up for the rest of his life. Right. So Lily was shocked and she's just like, you need to go home and tell your mother what you've done. Because <laughs> Call mama. I think yeah. it was literally like she was shocked and I think she didn't. I think she, I think she was truly did not know what to say or do. And I think that was like right. the best thing she could think of was you need to go talk to your mama. Right. Um, and this is such a gross detail, but I'm leaving it in. Alice asked if there was a lot of blood on her face and Lily said, yes, she asked Lily to clean her face, but then she said not to, she said, it's Frida's blood. Leave it there. I love her. So. <sighs> yeah. So. Oh, just get ready for just a lot more anger and red flags. So, oh, boy. <laughs> Alice was arrested about an hour later because naturally, yeah, um, all of Memphis saw what she did. And so they're like, hey, it's that girl. Wasn't exactly sneaky about it. Yeah. No, not at all. Um, her father, George, secured two of the best attorneys in town. Excuse me. Meanwhile, Lily was also arrested because they thought she knew what was happening and was like, did george accomplice. did george not notice his razor being missing he did but he just kept thinking it was misplaced and he said uh. later he <clears throat> noticed that every time he asked like family members like hey do you know where my razor is alice would get up and leave the room oh so i'm like Alice is not exactly a cool cucumber. She's not subtle. <laughs> no, she's not. And I'm like, I don't know if he went and bought another. They were wealthy. They were pretty wealthy. Oh, okay. So he could have so bought another one. He probably went and bought another one. That's right. my guess. Because I think I read, um, there is a book about the case, and which I just finished. Um, and I think, I believe I read, she had carried it around for like a month. Because yeah, she that's was what waiting. I was she like, kept waiting to see for like that first time that she sees her in Memphis and Alan and Frida doesn't notice her. She has the razor in her hand, but she's so. This like, wasn't exactly a crime of passion. <laughs> it was and it wasn't. It's very weird, but it's very right. much not either because yeah, she did plan. Yeah. Um. But yeah. So yeah, Lily was arrested. They thought she knew and all this, but long, 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 long story short they found out she truly did not know and they dropped the charges so don't worry because she that. wasn't yeah. gonna bring her nephew thank if she you knew there that's was my... fixing to be a bloodbath i'm yeah. like why did y'all even arrest her to begin with because that fact alone did it for me i'm like there's no you're not going to take your underage child nephew little person to a murder right, oh, right. i have nephews and a niece and i'm not gonna bring them if i think no. there's gonna be some mess no. <laughs> yeah 
um so yeah so because the murder did happen as i said in downtown memphis on, in broad daylight with a zillion witnesses they, they knew they couldn't say she was innocent so the defense uh claimed that she was presently insane and what that meant in 1892 legal terms was basically they needed to determine if she was competent to stand trial right um if she was declared not competent to stand trial she would basically be sent to a local insane asylum where she would theoretically receive treatment until deemed fit to stand trial right but her father would likely never allow that to happen right um we he has a history of committing women to insane asylums we will get to that okay lots of fun mental health talk in this story (laughs) um so patriarchy anyway, oh my <laughs> god the patriarchy in this story is wild y'all just wait just wait it just oh enraged me it enraged me um so that summer they did have a trial but it was not whether or not she was guilty it was whether or not she could stand trial basically so back then it's 1892 it's i don't know that being in the south really matters but it wasn't just the fact that she had killed her girlfriend. It was the fact that she was in a relationship with a woman. And that she alone, had a girlfriend to begin that with. That alone was literally considered lunacy, which is so messed up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, the defense found plenty of doctors who were happy to talk to Alice and declare her insane because simply because she was a lesbian. Don't even have to go any further. Or, or I mean, like I said, I hate to say she was a lesbian, but I mean, because she was in a same-sex relationship. Right. Um, the prosecution could not find a doctor to say that same-sex love wasn't insane. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus. And then a, a thing that really just enraged me <coughs> was they said that Alice was, they, they basically wanted to say she was like mentally not all there i don't know a good way to say it because like they were like literally one doctor was like okay so you were gonna live as a man y'all were gonna get married and she's like yeah and he's like it's illegal to get married and she's like okay we were i was gonna dress as a man it's okay and then they're like but you realize that couples like get married and have children y'all y'all wouldn't have children and she's like yeah i know and he's like oh because of that she doesn't know how sex works essentially they're like she has no idea how what the genitalia does and what men and women and all this and i'm like i think oh, she boy. knew what she was doing dude i think yeah she knew full well how to have this lesbian relationship and i think she was fine with not having a child like my god right i think she yeah yeah they they figured that out if nothing else <laughs> yeah and i'm like uh it's just oh my god it's just so frustrating to hear all of these doctors supposed doctors saying all this stuff anyway we'll get to more crazy reasons why they think she's insane and i'm gonna say crazy because i'm sorry that these doctors were crazy in my opinion yeah um but her defense attorneys also published part of her statement um or sort of a confession kind of from alice in the local papers i think they were trying to sort of get ahead of the um the narrative a little bit but this is part of alice's statement and again red flags left right and center I could not bear to think of her living in the company of others. Then indeed, I resolved to kill Frida because I loved her so much that I wanted her to die loving me. And when she did die, I know she loved me better than any other human being on earth. 
I got my father's razor and made up my mind to kill Frida. And now I know she is happy. Jesus. So basically she loved her so much. They couldn't be together. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm sorry. You thought, you thought Frida was happy to be murdered. Like what, what in the world? Oh God. No. Anyway, but, and this is frustrating. The defense also used um, the fact that Alice's mother, Isabella, was quote-unquote mentally ill oh boy. as reasoning that Alice was therefore mentally ill. So Isabella had given birth seven times, but as you know, medicine did not, right, wasn't great back then. So only four of her children survived to adulthood, and she had intense postpartum depression after each. She actually was um, her father or her father. Her husband did institutionalize her after the first baby. So again, like I said, George knows what he's doing when it's Ugh, time man. to institutionalize. And then when she got out of that institution, she was so excited to go home and see her baby. And then she found out her baby had died. Oh, oh. I'm like, did you have to institutionalize her? I don't know. Maybe he did. I, I'm Postpartum is real and it needs help. And I know that... It, what i speak offered. firsthand it is right. legitimately real there's nothing yes. you can do about it right it's except tough. seek help and get medication and residential I, care now can be very good for that residential care in the 1890s i cannot was imagine nothing. was great it was nothing okay. that's what i'm saying like you can institutionalize somebody in 1890 all you want it's not going to be good we're going to talk about that again later i mean they're going to chain them to a wall i don't see that being really helpful right. they're not going to do anything for you so i i truly feel for isabella in this story because Yes, I think she had some postpartum depression that was really severe, but she, they said too that because Alice was her final child and she had suffered the worst postpartum with her, that she literally passed her lunacy onto her child. Can I inter- interject something here real quick? Please. J- just just back to the, the postpartum depression and anxiety. I know earlier we talked about, you know, suicide hotline and the text right. line. As somebody, so I suffered from postpartum anxiety pretty severely with Bonnie. Mm-hmm. Um, talk to your doctor. Don't feel like that it's something that you have to handle, that there's something wrong with being medicated. I increased my dosage because of the anxiety I was having. And within a, a week or two, started feeling much, much better. There's no reason to not talk to your OB and say, look, something's not right. I'm not feeling yeah good get talk to your doctor if you're dealing with depression anxiety it is totally normal your feelings are valid just ask your doctor and they will get you uh the help and or medication to to get you through it so and i feel like you know so much of the messaging around pregnancy and birth is like women are supposed to feel like they're just walking on cloud nine as soon as this Mm -hmm. baby comes out and that motherhood is just this and i'm motherhood is i'm sure wonderful but if you don't feel great after you've pushed a human or had a human removed from your loins that's fine. It's okay. Yeah. You know, you're not failing. It's not anything like that. 
it's right. You know, because I know a lot of times if people aren't just thrilled to death being pregnant or just thrilled to death with a newborn, people like you must not like being a mother. It's like, no, you're a human who just went through some really serious shit. Yeah. Your body and your brain are like, "Uh, uh." yeah, you know, talk to somebody. Don't let anyone shame you for not feeling fantastic. I was going to say, that's another thing about this whole story that really got to me was Isabella clearly went through some stuff. I cannot imagine giving birth seven times and losing those babies, losing babies, having postpartum like that's, that's so bad. And then she was never in the courtroom. She never testified nothing. Her husband did. And then all of this talk about her being quote unquote crazy was in all the newspapers and i'm like that's having your personal business just out there literally in every paper in the country because this was a huge news story so right oh it's just so frustrating i'm like men men are the problem here (laughs) oh anyway patriarchy yeah so the defense also talked at length about Alice's childhood to further prove that she's quote unquote insane, insane. She didn't like to play with her sister. She wanted to only play with her brother. She look out Lori liked horses and enjoyed <laughs> taking care of them. She hated needlework and her mother couldn't teach her how to sew. She never had boyfriends and she had what sounded to me like panic attacks. So all of us clearly are. Yeah. insane. <laughs> oh, this is my favorite part. Y'all men, men, y'all. I had to put the book down and walk away when I read this. She also had nosebleeds sometimes. And one of these male doctors said it was vicarious menstruation. (laughs) And I'm like, that's the deeply dumbest thing I've ever heard. Like, how do you even? How does your brain? Oh, my God. And I'm like, is this the same guy okay, who tried to say I that she didn't been, understand that two women can't have kids? Like, I think she gets that too. I have it's been be the on same doctor. my period and had a nosebleed at the same time. So please tell me what was going on there. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. The and air she was dry. Right? And the, and, but yeah. think about it. Think about how, and even now, if you don't fit these super rigid gender constructs, yes. which are entirely societal, This doctor was willing to make a medical determination based on her not being into needlepoint. Oh, it gets worse. It gets worse, Hannah. Just wait. Like I'm I'm including all of this to just be like, y'all, I don't think she was insane in this way. And I'm going to go back in time and fight this man. (laughs) I want to find all of these doctors and just punch them in no man's land i can't cook <laughs> bitch does that i mean i'm crazy for other reasons my lack of cooking skills isn't it <laughs> just wait just wait just just wait it's so bad i i, I legitimately think alice did have some mental illness oh it's of not course all stuff. it's God. not because she can't sew no it's she also likes not horses <laughs> i know she, she likes knows, horses she probably knows better than this doctor how the yes she does <laughs> yes she does that's what i'm saying like when the doctor's like i don't think she understands how genitals and sex works i'm like she understands honey better oh, than yeah, you better do. than you like, did anyway Lily's brother also testified in court that he once asked Alice to dance with him, but she and Lily were hanging out in a hammock. And so she's like, no, like I'm, I'm cool, dude. And oh God, 
that's a reason to say she was insane because she wouldn't dance with the brother i'm like what if he was gross (sighs) um other reasons listed y'all and i cannot make this up there was a lack of symmetry in her facial confirmation she was left-handed oh no that's two against me (laughs) and her face is larger on one side than the other the whole lack of facial symmetry eugenic shit they really were going off on the shape of her face and how one side wasn't symmetrical with the other that was a huge thing and i was just like y'all it's 100 percent eugenics it's so disgusting just a reminder hitler got that from us (laughs) yeah (laughs) oh yeah you guys are satanic (laughs) i say this as i come from a family of lefties and i'm the only right-handed one i'm like y'all heathens i'm good Um, and I'm going to include the, the following, um, conversation, I guess, because I just, I think this, I do this to say all of these medical reasons that these quote unquote doctors are, are giving are BS, but this to me really explains that she has issues that are not related to what they say it is because Alice did testify. Okay. Uh, the prosecution said you intended to kill her and she said yes um, because I could not have her when asked if she missed her she said I have missed her every day since last summer well she killed Frida in January she's not even talking about since then she's mentioning back to the previous August when their engagement was broken up by her right. sister figuring yeah. out and then this is wild. The, the judge in this case was an absolute cretin of, I don't even want to say he was human. He was just a cretin. He was very gross, racist, misogynist, piece of crap that we're not, I don't, that's a whole nother episode that I don't know that I even want to talk about. <laughs> yeah. But either way, he actually, before she got up to leave the stand, he's like, wait, wait, wait. I want the jury to ask her questions. And he was like, do y'all have any questions for her? It was a this feels illegal. (laughs) Oh, so much about this. It was a free for all back then. It really was. It really was. So a juror asked her if she had tried to kill herself. And she said, yes. And he said, do you regret that you failed? And she said, I've always wanted to do it. Do you feel that you were determined to carry out that purpose? And she said, no, I don't think that I will, but I want to die. And then she said, it is, or the juror said, it is said that you keep a thumb stall, which is like a thimble, Mm -hmm. saturated with Frida's blood and yours. Do you want to have that now? Would it give you pleasure to look upon it? And she said, yes, sir. I think it would. Good God. Okay. Alice has some issues, y'all. And it ain't because she's left-handed or she likes a horse or because her face is not symmetrical. Like, yeah, no, there's something going on. She needs legitimate help. Right. Um, Unsurprisingly, Alice was declared presently insane. So she was sent to the Western Hospital for the Insane in Bolivar, Tennessee. On her way to the hospital, she asked that she could be taken by Frida's grave, where they said she dropped to her knees and cried. The hospital she was sent to was overpopulated. I know we're shocked by that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And her care included um, what they called moral treatment, which was basically exercise, healthy diet, hobbies, or work to keep you busy. And then entertainment like dances and concerts. 
and I don't want to include this but I think it's again I'm just doing this to show how effed up mental health was at the time no one really expected her to get better the hospital had their own like magazine or newspaper that they published and they wrote about her which I'm like HIPAA um yeah which I know didn't exist exist no then, but that's no one's business but her own and they said her insanity is progressive and that they said she would become this is a direct quote a driveling idiot through the decay of brain tissue oh, oh my wow God. I'm like how in God's name are you meant to improve if the the institution you're staying at is saying that about you like my god well and that's the thing is idiot used to be a medical diagnosis i know i hate that i hate that term oh anyway so several months later um about a year or so later really um several publications um did stories on alice and they all claimed that she was improving she had taken a needlework she attended all of the dances they didn't say if the dances were mandatory but she went to all of them <laughs> um basically she had become like a proper lady um and supposedly alice said however because i guess they asked if she had been dating some guys that were there at the in hospital with her Maybe they said, shouldn't because they're all in an insane asylum. But she says, and I'm like, this proves that she's, she knows what she's talking about here. She said, no, I don't care to dance or to have anything to do with the Bolivar boys for, I know they want to meet me merely for curiosity. And yeah, mm-hmm. that's it. They want to meet a murderer. Like, come on. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we're almost done. I know I've taken up all the time. It's Okay. <laughs> Um, Alice Mitchell died on March 31st, 1898 at the hospital. She was 25. There's no cause of death listed on the patient rolls, but the hospital claimed she had been wasting away for some time. And because of course, tuberculosis was commonplace. That's sort of what a lot of people said she had was tuberculosis. Um, some people wondered if maybe she was starving herself as the wasting away thing, but right. 32 years after Alice died, one of the lawyers that worked for Lily in that initial when she was first charged told the Commercial Appeal, which is the local Memphis paper, that she, quote, uh, had taken her own life by jumping into a water tank on top of the building. But that story was never published, end quote. Mm -hmm. So I I think that's probably likely, but we'll never know. Right. Both Alice Mitchell and Frida Ward are buried at Elmwood Cemetery in Memphis. They're not super close to each other, but you can basically point over the hill and be like, well, from either one of them, be like, well, there's Alice or there's Frida. Right. Frida's grave was not marked for over 100 years. Um, a tree was planted in her honor near the gravesite in 2010. And even later than that, a volunteer did purchase a marker for her. But it's also not exactly where she's buried. Like it's all sort of near. I, right. I, yeah. I get the impression. I don't think her family wants anything for her really. Oh, the marker that though was, um, that was put up for her though. It does read in memory of Frederica Ward, March 5th, 1874 to January 25th, 1892. And Alice is buried beside her parents, George and Isabella and her siblings. They're all sort of in the same plot. If you take the driving tour of Elmwood, you will go by there. So you can't miss them. Um, 
her sisters and her brother have pretty simple monuments, but she and her father and mother all have really pretty monuments that have um, flowers on them. And they're really pretty. I cleaned them two summers ago. So why didn't Frida's parents really want anything for her? I mean, she was a murder victim. I think her mother was dead. Mm. She had died long before not long before but a while before Frida died I think her family was nowhere near as well off as Alice's oh okay I also think they might have been ashamed of her right I'm not sure but that to me when you say I don't want anything for them yeah yeah, that bothers me a lot yeah the kid was 17 the kid I mean and she was a murder victim (laughs) yeah like she she didn't ask for this to happen to her she she was 17 from all i can tell she liked attention she wanted someone to love her i think i think she right and i think too and i mean if you're messed up like alice i guess you could put the blame on her but i don't of she she loved drama and she loved this right i mean how we're not i'm like she was extra you all have an extra, and extra she was a, friend. She was 17, y'all. Everyone's extra at 17. Right. You know? So, anyway, that's a very sad story. Um, and that's a lot longer than what I normally tell on my True Crime tour. Um, but I, I think the case is fascinating, but it breaks my heart because they were so young when all of this happened. And I think while Alice did have some legitimate mental illness that needed legitimate help, not just needlework um the mental health game back then was a joke and thank god we have better mental health right um, i mean now. it's still not great but it's gotten no, a lot better but it's so much better um so to share a much happier story that ends in chocolate um <laughs> this is a very very <laughs> quick story that i wanted to tell i learned it last year or year before last you know the best thing to me about the pandemic was um which there's not a lot of good about it, but I really liked how all of these like museums and historical sites and stuff did all of these virtual events. I think a lot of things should be virtual because, hey, not everyone can get out and go to wherever they want to go. And it keeps us all safe from COVID. But either way, Laurel, um, <clears throat> Laurel Hill Cemetery in Philadelphia had a great um, online presentation. And that's where I learned the story. Um, so this story is, is happy. picture it the late 1800s in philadelphia pennsylvania all right thomas and mary peterson were childhood sweethearts and they eventually married uh they were all happy and they loved the crap out of each other they were super close love 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 until february 6 1881 thomas mary and their two children were visiting atlantic city new jersey and thomas who is about 33 34 ish is like, hey, I'm going to go for a walk. Peace out. And he's never seen alive again. Oh. Um, newspapers reported of his disappearance because he was a young man. He was healthy. He was wealthy. And they noted that Alan Pinkerton's detective agency was on the case. But about four months later in June, Thomas's badly decomposed body washed ashore near Cape, Cape May, New Jersey. Um they identified him because he was still wearing the jewelry that he had worn like a watch or ring or something. Uh And he had a note addressed to him in his pocket, which of course being in the water, 
all that time was mostly gone, but you could still read his name on one part of it. So very sad. He is buried at uh, Laurel Hill in Philadelphia. And as you can imagine, Mary was devastated. She lived another 30 years. And in that time, she remarried. And then she died on December 7th, 1912. Her body was buried near her parents' graves at All Saints Burial Ground. But her heart, at her request, was removed and buried beside her first husband and her true love, Thomas, in Laurel Hill. So when you go visit Laurel Hill, you'll see Thomas's grave, and that's where his body is. But you'll also see a monument for Mary. But the only thing there is her heart. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> so she requested. They were so dramatic in so the 1800s. Dramatic. Yes. <laughs> I'm telling you. Because like um, Percy Shelley's or yeah. Mary Shelley kept Percy Shelley's heart in I her love like that story. desk yeah. drawer. I'm like. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, can we calm down? I love it. <laughs> and then what I love even more is that apparently Laurel Hill Cemetery to this day celebrates this unique burial and love story by selling anatomical chocolate hearts. Okay, I Mueller love it. <laughs> Company, Mueller Chocolate Company, I mean. And when you buy one of these hearts, you can either get a good size one or like a little lollipop version. Um, you it. also get um mary's story and a photo of the monument that has been erected for her heart <laughs> oh. um fun fact to know and tell i think i'm correct in this laurel hill is also the burial place of um adrian balboa uh yes the fi fictional character when they have to film a scene where rocky goes to a cemetery and is grieving adrian so they put up a whole ass yes. gravestone for that yes i love it <laughs> oh. as a huge rocky fan i'm, I'm going like, to philly oh just for that i love to i literally <laughs> like i'm dying to go see adrian's grave because listen the fact that they killed her off killed me and um yeah i love that but it's there's an actual monument for adrian balboa yes that's wow. another love story. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Good I'm tired. Y'all go. Good job, Sheena. Good job. You can kick back and yeah. relax now. So I'm yes. going next. So my story begins in the small town of Faulkner, Mississippi. It's a tiny little town in northeast Mississippi, close to Corinth and Ripley. And for those of you not from the area, it's about an hour or two from Memphis. Uh, and at the time our story takes place, it boasted a population of 255. <laughs> wow. Today, it's, right. it's a whopping 758. Oh, Ooh. gosh. I bought a horse in Faulkner last year. Sounds about right. The, yep. It was sounds just about right. Country hill folk. Yep. If you've listened to our previous episodes, you may recall Sheena's story about the Frenchman's grave back in episode two, where she shared a little colorful history of Colonel William Clark Faulkner, great grandfather of William Faulkner, uh, and he basically was the namesake for this town. He was an author, lawyer, alleged murderer. So if you want to know more, re-listen to Sheena's story from the Mississippi Mysteries episode, because today we are not here to discuss crazy old confederate colonels yay <laughs> no backstory we're getting right into it love it let's do it stephen vance brown was a popular 15 year old sophomore at faulkner high school he was handsome and athletic 
He was a member of the school's honors choir, worked at a local nursery and garden center on the weekend, attended church with his family on Sunday. His plans were to attend Mississippi State University and become a a large animal surgeon. And as such, he was a member of his school's largest club, the Future Farmers of America. (laughs) FFA, baby. Okay, we have to throw in a hottie toddy just to (laughs) get get that bad juju out. Yes. What year was this, Luhu? This is 81. 81, okay. Yes, so the FFA club was run by his father, Dwight Brown, who was the agricultural instructor at Faulkner High School. And, like, their house was on school grounds. Okay, if you did not grow up in a rural area... Ag class is a thing. Oh, yeah. it's huge. It is a hundred percent a thing. FFA was massive. FFA was massive also thing. big, but yeah, you could definitely we definitely had the group that took ag. Yeah. <laughs> that was yeah. what they did. For sure. And I'm gonna stop here and interject. My main source for this is an essay that was written by Hampton Sides, who is a very famous uh author and essayist mm-hmm. um he uh, originally wrote it in 1985 and it was featured in memphis magazine that's where i found it and it was also published in one of his recent well recent like 2004 2000 early 2000 books called americana he did change some names in the book but when i found went back and found the article from 85 the real names were used so very interesting story i have linked it in the show notes it's very in-depth check it out. It's fascinating read. Okay. Back to the story. So one of Steve's closest friends was a 16 year old junior named Mike Miss Kelly, no relation to Jesse Miss <laughs> Kelly of the West Memphis three. Believe me, you Google it. It's going to be, you're going to get a lot of that. The name is spelled differently too. So just Mike was known as a clown as a pra- and a practical joker. He played football with Steve and the duo were hunting buddies. Hunting being pretty much the only activity you could do to call boredom living in such a small ass town. Steve had a mop of blonde hair and blue eyes that made his female classmates swoon, but his heart belonged to only one girl, Tammy Glisson, a popular cheerleader. Yes. Tammy was a bit of a dreamer. She wrote flowery love poems but she was also an athlete. She played on the girls' uh, basketball team. She and Steve dated off and on for two years, but his parents did not approve of this relationship. They felt he that she was distracting him from his studies, and they told him, cut off this relationship. It's not healthy. Mm. If only they knew. <laughs> Sometime during the 1980 to 81 school year, Mike and Tammy started dating which many people believe was just her way of making Steve jealous. Uh, people would say that like she would completely ignore Mike unless Steve was around. And then it'd be like, Ooh, Mike. Dee, 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 dee. That uh, sounds like a teenage relationship. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and it did. Steve's feelings were hurt that his girl was running around with one of his closest friends. And so there was a rift between the two boys for that school year. Uh The breakup and subsequent rebound of the girl Steve had been pre-engaged to affected him in a major way. He began, uh, or he became withdrawn and moody. His grades plummeted and he couldn't seem to focus on work. His boss even called his parents to express concern at the sudden change in Steve's behavior. 
So Tammy and Mike did eventually stop seeing each other, and she and Steve rekindled their romance in March of 1981. It was around this time that Steve and Mike seemed to repair their broken relationship. They made plans to go hunting together. All right. So there's a lot of times. So I'm, you know, chronologically, this is this is how this day goes. It was Monday, March 24th, 1981. At about 4.15 p.m., Mike met Steve at the school after bas- baseball practice ended, and they drove off to go hunting in a wood- wooded area between Faulkner and Ashland. It was the last time the boys would be seen together. At the same time that they were headed off on their hunting trip, Tammy was with some of her girlfriends for a slumber party to plan an upcoming banquet. She arrived at about 5 p.m., and her friends recalled that she was erratic and agitated, saying, quote, I've got to call Steve. I've got to reach him. He's got something to say to me, end quote. Oh. Her friends tried calming her down, but to no avail. She claimed that they had broken up for good, and Steve was going to kill himself with his rifle. Meanwhile, on the other side of town at about 5.20 p.m., a classmate saw Mike speeding down the highway from Ashland. The classmate waved and was surprised that Steve was not in the car with Mike. And this this classmate had actually seen the two leave the high school together at 4.15. So that's why he was surprised that, oh, wait, Steve's not with you. I just saw y'all together an hour ago. So now we flash forward to 6.15 p.m. Three FFA members were hanging out in the ag shop, waiting for the club's 6.30 p.m. meeting. One of the boys, Timmy Hopper, began shooting basketball at a milk crate that was hung up on one of the walls. He recalled missing a shot, and when he bent down to pick up the ball, he spotted Steve in the doorway. Uh, And the two other guys were painting a corn picker. And so he recalled that Steve pointed at the corn picker and commented that it was going to look good when finished. And then he walked away. When 6.30 p.m. came and there was no sign of Steve, his father began to worry because he is the FFA coach and his son would never be late for a meeting. Where is he? By 7 7 p.m., he went to the Miss Kelly's where Mike was home shaving. And he said... He picked Steve up. Steve was in a really bad mood. They couldn't find anything to hunt. So they used Steve's 22 rifle for some target practice. And then Mike drove him back to town, dropped him off at the Faulkner Bank. And then Mike left to go pick up his paycheck, get some gas and go home. That was the last time he ever saw Steve. By 9 p.m., Tammy had been informed that Steve was missing, which set her off into more hysterics. Her father picked her and her friends up, took them to the school, where there was a search party gathering to start looking for Steve. Many thought he had just taken off to Claire's head, but as time went on and he didn't turn up, they began to fear for the worst. Um, As the weeks went on, his parents launched the Steve Brown search committee. They held telethons to raise funds for a reward that would lead to the arrest and conviction and the disappearance of their son. Many people had questions for Mike Miss Kelly, but because Timmy Hopper swore up and down i saw him at 6 30 at the ag shop mike's alibi seemed solid wrong leads came and went there were people saw steve all over the country nothing actually came to fruition and then 
the case was cold. There was nothing else to go on. There was no sign of Steve. That is until Tammy Glisson came forward with some disturbing information. And I need to take a second to take a sip. There we go. Okay. So on April 8th, 1981, Tammy signed an affidavit regarding an uncomfortable encounter with Pete Doles, the music teacher who taught the gifted choral group and seemed to have a soft spot for Steve. It's always the music teacher. In fact, Steve was one of his favorite students. It was a little known secret among the students at Faulkner that the Doles, so Pete and his wife, Maria, would often invite the students over to their house under the guise of, oh, we're going to practice for, you know, our next performance. But they would have, they would let them drink and watch movies and, you know, do things that yeah. the kids should have. ideas. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So in her, yeah, in her statement, Tammy recounted that on the Thursday following Steve's disappearance, she had been at the doll's home to prepare for an upcoming singing performance. She claimed that dolls had pictures of Steve hung up and that he showed her a home video of Steve that made her quote, cry and cry end quote. What? The statement sent the police into a frenzy. And they broke into the doll's home while he was away with his wife and basically destroyed the place looking for evidence that they did not find. Oh, wow. When dolls found out, he hired a powerful local attorney to deal with the police and the case, if you can even call it that, against him was dropped. Um, and for those of you in the know, it was the original Farise. I can't. I like, literally was wondering. It was that. a Farise. Like, it was yeah. A Farise. Yeah. yeah, it was a Farise. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, it should be said, maybe, that Doles had a spotty work history. He had been let go from multiple um, school districts, and he was an outsider to the tiny town of Faulkner. So people still had eyebrows raised about him. Um, he finished the school year and then I think moved on. Uh, but this was pretty much viewed as a false lead. Mm. Tammy. <clears throat> Time continued to pass and things went back to normal. Well, as normal as they could at Faulkner High School. Tammy and Mike rekindled their ro- relationship. Which, Interesting. Uh, raised eyebrows. Mm-hmm. Then came the evening of May 18th, 1981. Authorities picked up Mike at his home to take him in for questioning. Guess what? Tammy had made another statement, and this one implicated Mike in the disappearance of Steve. What? Yes. So in Tammy, her, girl. Yeah. In her statement, she claimed Mike confessed to killing Steve while on their hunting excursion. She recalled he said, quote, it would have been me or him. I'd done it for a four-letter word called L-O-V-E because of you, end quote. She recounted that is that, so North Mississippi. Yes. Ain't it though? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. God she recounted that Mike shot Steve as he was turning to say something to him, and the bullet went through his skull just behind his ears. Steve fell to the ground, died, and Mike buried him and covered his grave with brush to prevent it from being found. Mike denied ever confessing to this. Cops did not believe him. And he's like, dude, I'll take a polygraph. So the next day, they scheduled a polygraph in Jackson, Mississippi, which was to be done by the best polygrapher in the state. Uh, <laughs> and there, there are different accounts as to how this test went. Mike's parents insist that the examiner was 90% sure that Mike had passed the test. 
But when questioned later about the results, the examiner said they were too erratic to be anything but inconclusive. Oh, boy. Uh, no matter, not that it really matters, since lie detectors are inadmissible in court anyway. So, and know. right, and inconclusive doesn't mean one way or the other. It literally yeah. means inconclusive. He was, he was too fucking nervous to get a, a read. Yeah, basically. a teenage yeah. boy nervous? I can't imagine. Right. right. So when that 1981 to 82 school year began, this was would be Tammy and Mike's senior year. Administrators at the high school put policies in place that would keep Tammy and Mike separate as much as possible. I'm remember, just imagining the hair situation right yeah, now. Like, yes. Remember, this North Mississippi in the 80s had 255 <laughs> people, the entire town. Imagine oh how hard it was. So these are the rules. A, these students will be separated in classrooms in different sections where possible. B, they are to not they are not to associate with one another at all on school property, day or night. This means all contact. Oh wow. Jesus. C, any obscene language, gesture, or physical contact will be grounds for dismissal. No flipping each other the bird. Yep. <laughs> D. Any messages carried by other students, notes, staring, etc., will be considered <laughs> contact and will be punished. Oh, Lord. So you can't stare. Yeah. That's hilarious. Like, so, what do you think you do in a high school? You just stare at whatever happens to be in your line of sight. Yep. So now while the average person would maybe avoid the woman who accused him of murder at all. They costs, are not a teenage boy from North Mississippi. Mike eventually started sneaking around with Tammy. Jesus Christ. She would write him dozens of love notes, poems, lyrics, you name it. She was just enthralled. Can I be they, vulgar for a second? Her yeah, head absolutely. game her head game must be on point. Uh, yes. So they graduated that spring. They went their separate ways. Mike enrolled in the local community college and Tammy married a man named John Daniel Boom Boom Nance. Oh God! Help oh, I know me. some dances. This is wild. Go ahead. Yes, oh, you God. may, because I believe he was from Tupelo. So you oh, may know, no, the dances I know are from Etcrew. Oh, oh, I don't talk county. Okay. Go ahead. So then the shit finally hit the fan on December twenty seventh, nineteen eighty two. A fifteen year old kid came across a rifle stuck in the mud and skeletal remains that would eventually be identified as belonging to Steve Brown. Oh, Steve! Yes, the medical examiner concluded that his death had been caused by a single small caliber bullet that entered through the back of his head and exited the front of his skull. Aye. Authorities ruled out suicide. The manner of death was homicide. Yeah, it's kind of hard to shoot yourself in the back of the head with a rifle. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 a upper level move. Yes, I don't think a, Steve was doing that. No, Mm-mm. a funeral service was held for Steve on January sixth at the Ripley Funeral Home oh, with more Ripley. than fifteen hundred <laughs> attendees. Oh, inc- so more than the whole town. Yeah, yeah, including Mike Muskelly and his parents. Oh, on January 13th, a grand jury indicted the now 18 year old Miss Kelly for the murder of Steve. Even though he had been a minor when this murder occurred, he was going to be tried as an adult. Right. The trial began on March 22nd, 1983, and the courthouse was packed with supporters of Mike and then 
of the Brown family. Mm -hmm. While many attorneys would have filed for a new venue, Mike's lawyer, and you'll be familiar with this gentleman, Bill Luckett. (laughs) Really? From Clarksdale. Wow. Well, and I did not know this. He's, he married one of the Farise daughters. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. He recently died. I know. I saw that. Uh, Bill Luckett for everyone who doesn't know. He's a lawyer from Mississippi. He, um, ran for governor but also he started uh ground zero blues club in clarksdale mississippi with the one and only morgan freeman yes they were business partners yes i did a story on ground zero hundreds of years ago and interviewed bill and he was he was a fun guy to hang around with let me tell you i enjoyed that one of my journalism classes we went to ground zero uh it was uh wilkie of course oh yeah oh yeah curtis wilkie knows everybody and oh yeah yeah. (laughs) took us to ground zero God, we need to get him on this podcast one day. Absolutely. And uh, he, he, he let stories. us talk to Bill Luckett. So RIP yeah, Bill he was Luckett. a good guy. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so he decided to keep the trial in Benton County, which was where the body had been found. He felt it would be beneficial because he felt that Mike had just as many supporters as the Brown family. Uh, so the prosecutor's case hinged on the account of Tammy Glisson, but the judge refused to allow any questions or information related to any sexual promiscuity, her letters, her love letters to Mike, anything like that was not allowed into the trial. Interesting. Which, which yes, you should not, you know, a, a, a girl's sexual history should not be used against her. Yeah. But the fact that she was in a, physical relationship with someone she claims confessed to murdering that's relevant i feel like and the love letters she wrote him right were very relevant they were not allowed those were inadmissible the judge would not allow those to be used um that was going to be luckett's primary tool in casting doubt onto her story after all, what woman would continue to write such passionate love letters and have sex with the person responsible for the murder of the boy she had been pre-engaged to? Right. Valid question. <laughs> it took the jury less than an hour to render a verdict. Guilty of first-degree murder. Oy. However, that, that would not be the end of the saga for Mike Miss Kelly. His attorney immediately filed an appeal, and by November 1985, the Mississippi Supreme Court ruled in his favor and gave him a retrial. The presiding justice, Roy Noble Lee, wrote, quote, cross-examination of a witness is a valuable right which may not be infringed upon or bridled, end quote. So basically, because Luckett was not able to question Tammy on her love letters and rendezvous with Mike, they were getting him, a, he was getting a retrial. That's yeah. fair. I think that's fair. Yeah, no, I agree. Miss Kelly was released to await a new trial. In the meantime, he did hire a new attorney, Alvin Binder, or Bender, I'm not sure how it's pronounced, didn't check it, who was famous for representing Wayne Williams during the Atlanta child murders. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, Unlike Luckett, Binder filed for a change of venue, and the retrial began in Batesville, Mississippi in 1987. Yeah, just just about 30 miles south from Sheena and I. Yep. Uh, they have so, a really good outlet mall there. You should definitely check it out. Or they used to. There's not it really gone? Mm-hmm. It's there, but there's like three shops left. It's oh, very sad. Yeah, that's upsetting. That. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah it's gone. Uh, after the first few days, it did seem like things were going to go Mike's way, but he got very nervous and said, look, I want to cop a plea. I, I don't want to go through this again. He had mm. pretty much given up. He was tired. He just wanted it to be over. Yeah, uh, yeah. So he did take a plea deal for manslaughter in the heat of passion. He was sentenced to 10 years in prison, minus the three he had already served. And he only wound up serving three years uh, before being released on good behavior. And he was sent to parchment, which Oof. bless his heart. God, he made it out bless of there him. No shit. So in 1989, the saga from Faulkner was immortalized in a TV movie called Desperate for Love, which starred <laughs> Christian Slater as a fictionalized version of Miss Kelly. Oh, God. And they, yes, they changed the setting to somewhere in Georgia, but essentially from what I read, it was like exactly how this whole thing played out. Stephen Vance Brown was buried at Forked Oak Cemetery in Boonville, Mississippi. Boonville. Yes. <laughs> his mother, Mary Ruth, passed away in June of 2001 and is buried mm. with him. Pete Doles, the music, uh, blah, blah, the music teacher who was at one time a suspect in Steve's disappearance, died in 1991 at the age of 46 in Memphis. Oh, wow. He is buried at Henry Cemetery in Corinth, Mississippi. He died at the regional medical center. So I'm assuming he probably was in some type of accident right. uh, to, to be at the, yeah, that's, that's, the, the, trauma that's center. the trauma center. Yeah. Now to the two living characters from the story, Mike Miss Kelly was released from prison. And after some light Facebook stalking, I found that he is now married with kids. He works as a mechanic in Ripley, Mississippi, which is not far from where this took place. Um, and good for him moving on from this, the situation he has yes. never once openly admitted to committing this crime and i it's it's tricky it's tricky to to know whether or not he did it or not because that one witness timmy refused to back down he saw steve brown that night at 6 30 he would he would not it wasn't another day it wasn't a mix-up it was steve brown so that kind of throws a wrench in the whole thing tammy glisten nance is no longer Tammy Nance. I'm not going to share what her name is, but she lives in Ohio. She has a husband and a whole bunch of beautiful, beautiful babies. So good for her. It seems they have both moved on. It is very unfortunate for, for dear Steve that, um, you know, his, his murder has never, you know, there's, there's no proof of anything right you, know, you got to take what she said with a grain of salt because you know she made false statements mm-hmm. against the You're teacher right. and she like fantasy she was one of those that craved attention in the fantasy and and all of that and <clears throat> it just i don't know you know it it seems like when I read this years ago, I was like, oh yeah, this kid did it. He did it. He did it. Right. And then when I reread it, I was like, oh wow, there was no evidence that he did it other than the fact that they went hunting together, which I mean, I guess could be a reason, but then you got this Timmy guy, like, no, I saw him that night. So, you know, there's Reddit, go down a Reddit rabbit hole and they think that uh, Steve had a physical relationship with the teacher and the teacher had him killed to silence him and just 
all kinds of crazy things, but you know, whatever the case, it's, it's sad that this happened, this love triangle happened, but you know, good for Mike and, and Tammy for being able to move on with their lives and seem to be doing okay. So. Yeah. I have a lot of questions. Um, yeah. But first of all, how dare you? No. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, too, it's, it's, I don't know. Like I've always been that kind of person that I would think even if a teenage boy, let's say Mike is guilty and I'm not saying he yeah. is. But let's say they go hunting, they get into it. He shoots him in the back of the head, which is a really cowardly thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I wouldn't think he would be able to hide a body that well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and to me, if you're gun- going to bury a body and, and cover it with brush, you would be dirty. Mm-hmm. You know? So I think when you would show up later, you would everyone would be like wow you look like a mess and i'm not putting a lot of stock in a north mississippi teenage ag students master criminal abilities right and whose rifle was he found with his so it was yeah yeah no so that that was that was the thing that uh and i didn't mention that because there was just so much to this but it tammy claimed that he said he shot steve with his own rifle so, but, but the way it was found, it, it, it was stuck up in the mud, like, and it, people just assumed that heavy rains had washed the bones from where they had been buried. Well, and predation because, by. Yeah, because it was, it was found in a weird place. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, but it, it, the only part of her story that really added up was the fact that there was a bullet hole through the back of the head mm-hmm. was right. the only and uh there were skull fractures <clears throat> but the coroner attributed that to you know post-mortem right you know the body being jostled and yeah right right and well I'm- and two and like i've been around like faulkner sounds very much like my hometown except my yeah. hometown was slightly bigger People don't just let you hold their guns and no, point uh-uh. their own guns at them. Like that yeah. is not something that happens, you know, especially yeah. if you're in a fight. If you're going to be in a fight with somebody, everyone's grabbing their weapon. You know, that's I just don't. Yeah, it's, it's strange because it he had Mike had his own gun and they couldn't find anything to shoot. So they found like some bottles and then, but then they used Steve's gun to target practice. I get the whole, it, it's, it's all very confusing. It yeah. And then if you shot him with it, why would you leave him with it? Yeah. yeah. And there are a million places in that area to hide a gun and it will never, ever be found ever. Mm-hmm. Was he found near where they were hunting? I don't believe so. I don't believe mm-hmm. so. Um, because I would they were, think so- they would, I would think they would have really looked over that area very well. You would see a gun. Well, well, yeah. So they, they had supposedly gone hunting behind this old church and th- there was this other story that I didn't initially include, but apparently when they picked up Mike to question him, they, instead of going straight to the station, they took him out to that church and walked him to the woods and found like a 
a mound that they made him dig up and they said you know we we know this is his grave you redheaded bastard you know and it was like an animal but there was nothing that was just what mike told his parents so there was no way to substantiate whether or not that happened or not but it, it was and then some people speculated well maybe the bones have been moved because <clears throat> well, I mean, in this being a small town, Mississippi, in the 80s, I mean, he could have been going to see, a, you know, a sneaky link and yeah. he just didn't want anyone to know who he was going to go see. Mm-hmm. And as a teenager who has lied to their parents about where I was going and who I was with, mm-hmm. as we all did at some point or another <laughs> of the tell your mom I'm staying or if my mom calls, I'm spending the night with you. It's like, OK, Round you home. know, yep. So, I mean, who's to say what he, and then, you know, you have to take your gun with you to make it look like you're going to go, you know, shooting squirrels behind the church. Mm-hmm. Wow. It's one of those things. No one's ever going to know it. In, yeah. In that is in a small town. Everyone knows everyone's business. Yeah. But you have to think this was the early eighties. So there's no cell phones and cameras everywhere. Like there is exactly. now. Like had this happened today. Everyone oh, yeah. would have had a camera. The church, mm-hmm. even the old church would somehow have a camera on it. Oh, like, yeah. Well, everyone has a camera. And, and you know, it's his, th- there was no evidence left because his body had been out yeah. in the wilderness for 20 right. months. There was, there was no, even if they had DNA at that point, there would have been no DNA left. Exactly. Th- it it would have been, Mike would have had to have confessed and he never technically confessed he took the plea because he was scared that he would be found guilty and spend life in prison and he didn't want that to happen so he never said anything about i did this and this is how it happened so right it's it's very strange i mean part of me is like he probably did do it in the heat of the moment you know right but there's no proof to that and there's you know and there's no proof that Tammy wasn't involved because, you know, this whole thing, he, you know, he was last seen at 415 or, you know, he was last, but then you, then that's Timmy kid insisting that he saw him. So it's like, right. Timmy throws a yeah, wrench in everything. So <laughs> Right. Dang it. They Timmy. usually do. Yeah. Cause there were the, the two other kids that were there with him at the ag shop said oh you know i saw somebody who looked like steve but it might not have been steve but timmy was like no that was steve and so you know that kind of ruins everything because yeah tammy could have done it if the last time he was seen was 4 15 because she didn't show up until five to her thing and she was in a frenzy uh you know but but then you know timmy are your your days mixed up I mean, because that, that's what really, you know, messes the whole thing up is, you know, Timmy will not back down on his statement and, you know, witness, witnesses, I accounts are not usually accurate. So, right. Exactly. Can I sound like a 17 year old girl here? Yes. Um, Not knocking 17 year old girls because I've been one and, and it, it, it's a, it's an experience. Yes. But Part of me is kind of okay. Steve, Timmy says he saw Steve. Steve's the one who was murdered. Yes. Could it have been Steve's ghost? <gasps> he was already dead, and he had to mean, see him. And be and Steve is like, "Oh, that's going to look good." And then he disappears. I mean, it very well could have been. Yeah. You know, 
I, that's I, the theory that's we're right. going with. That's yes, the story that, I want to believe. That is, yes, that is what we're going Because I always want to go story. Anyway, yeah. that was so, a good story, Luhu. Yes, I don't know that. That is it. good. And, and I know people who were probably close to that age in Ripley. And now I want to go ask them be like, Hey, well, what do you know? So, so the guy that shoes my horse is Jesse, his whole family's from down that way. And I'm like, shit, now I got to go talk to Jesse and be like, I mean, he was, he would have been an infant when this happened, but maybe his right. mom, I'm sure his, his parents would have remembered yeah, his, yeah. his parents. So the next time yeah. he comes to, to, uh, take care of my horse's hoof occurs, hoof occurs. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm going to ask him about it and see if, uh, his mom, remembers it i'm gonna i'm sure she does about it and be like please ask your co-worker from ripley now i gotta oh, find Jesus that christian is. slater uh, i know <laughs> i know i love christian slater he's a hottie yes. like peak 90s right there yeah yes. all right all hannah all right, all right. Get depressed again exactly all right get ready for um some teenage suicide so my god we have a lot of teenage <laughs> drama like <laughs> It's like this really should be love kills teenagers or assholes. <laughs> also, can I just say when you said teenage suicide, that made me think of Heather's. And yes. Song, teenage suicide. Don't do it. Well, it also reminds me of that epi- of that scene from the first Scream movie where the mm-hmm. chick in the bathroom is just like, she decided that suicide is last year and homicide is trendy now. Yeah, yeah, While yeah. Sydney's hiding it. Go watch the, the first Scream. It's amazing. Oh, oh, Scream's like my favorite movie. It's wonderful. Okay. Let's begin. Recall, if you will, being 13. Oh, God, do I have Oh, to- Lord. <laughs> if you were a girl, especially if you were a girl. Yeah, I'll give you a minute to come back from that PTSD flashback. (laughs) Now, if you're old like us ghoul gals, those tumultuous times were blissfully internet free. What internet was out there was mostly message boards and chat rooms. Mm -hmm. When while those could be savage, it was mostly anonymous. Mm -hmm. Before Facebook, your government name was almost never online. I have friends to this day. I only know by either their screen name or their first name at most. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Before the shit show of Russian disinformation campaigns and minion memes, that is Facebook. There was a little slice of weirdo heaven called MySpace. Ooh. <laughs> MySpace was a blast. It was. Yeah. Some of us honed our HTML skills while getting our profile pages just right picking the right autoplay song mm-hmm. and using the top eight as a passive aggressive power move. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> now get ready for another PTSD flashback as we go to the year 2006. Oh Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know. Get the juicy couture velour tracksuit and your chunky highlights out. It's about to get real early two thousands in this bitch <laughs> in the talent of in the talent. Jesus. <laughs> You know, I am slightly hungover, so y'all need to give me some (laughs) credit here. In the town of O'Fallon, Missouri, a suburb of St. Louis, 13-year-old Megan Meyer was in distress. As with most 13-year-old girls, Megan felt chubby. She felt ugly. She felt like an outsider. Megan was cute as shit. I would pinch her little baby cheeks. She was fucking adorable. We'll continue. We've all been there. Yep. 
Like many of us during 2006, she spent a lot of time on MySpace taking adorable MySpace era pictures. Look, we all do that from the top angle. And it, as you get older, it hides the double chin. Pro tip. With lots of fun little accessories and filters. She's wearing like cat ears and one. It's just the cutest damn thing. Megan was an adorable child. Then she received a friend request from a 16-year-old, 16, named Josh Evans. He ticked a multitude of boxes for Megan, an older boy who said he liked dark-haired girls and didn't care about weight. Because remember, she felt a little chubby. Catnip for an insecure teenage girl. The courtship, such as it was and always is with teenagers, see our past two stories, (laughs) was hot and heavy right out of the gate. The love bombing was real. Then came the heel turn. Josh flipped the switch and suddenly began telling Megan she wasn't a good person and they could no longer have a relationship. And that he would tell everybody what a terrible person she was. His last message to her was, everybody in O'Fallon knows who you are. You're a bad person and everybody hates you. Have a shitty rest of your life. The world would be a better place without you. God. Fuck off. Right? Even at my wizened age, that shit would hurt. Oh, yeah. That's Megan. Yeah. I'm like, I'm staring down 40. And if somebody sent me that, I'd be like, the fuck, man? Yeah, for sure. Megan had previously had emotional and mental health issues. And on top of just being 13, this was essentially a nuclear bomb going off in Megan's heart. Your frontal lobe doesn't close until you're like 25. So everything before that feels like the end of the world. Dude, Mm -hmm. listen, I would, I would throw out there your twenties are just a continuation of your teen years. Exactly. I did too. Give me my thirties all day long. Absolutely. Which has me pumped for my forties. Yes. I'm super excited to be 40. Exactly. (laughs) If you are currently in your twenties and you're like, this is supposed to be the best time. It's not, it's not not. for some people. It gets so much better. Exactly. For some people, (laughs) their twenties are like the best time of their life. And I'm happy for you. I love that for you. Uh, my twenties were just a blur of me being a dumbass. So yeah, me too. Yeah, and all sorts of mental health issues that I did not get resolved until I was in my thirties. So yeah, my forties, I'm gonna like rock some shit. So just yep. if you're in your twenties, just it's gonna pass. Uh, I promise. It'll pass. Yeah. Tragically, on October sixteenth, two thousand six, while her parents were out of the house, Megan hanged herself in her closet with a belt. <sighs> Her mother found her barely alive, and despite being taken immediately to the hospital, she died the next day. Hmm. Her parents were utterly devastated, of course, and they began looking through Megan's accounts to figure out what happened and who this fucking Josh Jabroni was. After a few months later, as nothing is ever really a secret in a small town, see previous (laughs) stories, (laughs) Stories. Megan's parents got word that Josh had been a catfish that a former friend of Megan's had made the account to troll her. The truth that would come out would be so much worse. Yes. The falling out between the two girls had been the catalyst, but the dirty work was done by Lori drew the other girl's mother. How do you do that to a child? Oh, it gets worse. It gets worse. Do that to a child. 
so much worse. I don't care that your daughter and this girl got into it. How do right. you do that to a child? Right. Now, I don't know about your parents, but when I was growing up, adults did not concern themselves with the soap opera-esque dealings no. of teenagers. Mm-mm. Oh, you and Christy are fighting again this week. Let me know when it's over and you're best friends again. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> exactly. That's it. Because because teenagers are fucking drama queens, as yes. we have discussed. Yes. You just let them get it out of their system. Yep. My mom did not pay attention to who I was spitting and arguing with. Even she listened to me bitch about it. And then she's like, okay, you guys will be friends again yeah. by the next day. Because oh, teenagers yeah. are erratic assholes. Mm-hmm. It's not your fault. It's just a thing. Mm-hmm. Not Lori Drew, though. No, no, no. She wanted to gain Megan's confidence and find out what she really thought about her own daughter and other girls in their social circle. So I'm not proud to admit this, but this would sometimes happen. If you had a friend that had the three-way calling back when landlines were a thing, another friend would be on the third call and be silent. And you would ask the one you were on the phone with, what do you think about so-and-so so that they could listen in? Mm-hmm. That was how we did it in the caveman days. Okay. Yes. <laughs> it was shitty then. It's shitty now. Just ask them, you got a problem with me, and then you move on. Yeah, mm-hmm. don't do it. Yeah. Again, why a grown ass woman is involved in this is beyond me. Yeah. When Megan's family found out, and this is a good time to mention that Megan's family and the Drew family were fucking neighbors. Oh, wow. Her father lashed out in a far more tame manner than I would have. He took a ping pong table that they had borrowed from the Drews and trashed it on their front yard. <laughs> I would have been dragging some bitches out their house and be by their the hair. The yes. street. Yep. There would have been just a bloody puddle when I was done. But mm-hmm. you know what? He showed restraint and I like that for him. <laughs> Lori Drew, full of audacity called the police and pressed charges for the ping pong table. Oh my god. Ah, what a twat. When yep. she dies, hell's going to have to break out every backhoe they have to dig her a new pit. Yep. But what of Drew's crime? Well, the legal system moves at a glacial speed, and the laws in Missouri simply didn't cover the kind of cyberbullying that occurred. The feds got involved since it used the internet, so you did have some cybercrime stuff that applied and she was convicted but it was later overturned on appeal because that kind of cyberbullying had not been written into that statute yeah because yeah. again the laws do not keep pace with technology right the justice system does not always fulfill its duties megan's family moved from o'fallon and began lobbying to create more robust cyberbullying laws on the state and federal level Laws which have greatly improved in the intervening years, though, still leave much to be desired. Um, The big thing that they're trying to write laws around now is swatting, where you randomly send, like, a SWAT team to somebody's, some rando's house and some shit happens. Yeah. Um, Which, why are we just, again, having SWAT teams just randomly? It's another, that's another thing for another time. Yeah. Many states and on the federal level, there are Megan's laws to prosecute this kind of crime. And uh, many of the laws are named after Megan. Megan is interred at the St. Charles Memorial Gardens in St. Charles, Missouri. Her parents did start the Megan Meyer Foundation, Mm 
which helps uh, young girls with their self-esteem and to combat bullying and we'll include links in the show notes to that. So I think that's good work. But yes, a grown-ass woman catfished a child who later killed herself. That is some bullshit right How there. How do you live with yourself? And then they complained because their house kept getting vandalized after the story oh went God. national. Like, I was like, you guys are just full of audacity. And the reason the story sticks out to me so much is I was very active on Jezebel.com back in the day. Yeah. And they were kind of the ones that brought it national and really kind yeah. of talked about it. Um, again, this was like 2006, 2007. So we're talking about pre, you know, Gawker had just really established yeah. itself um, and Jezebel was part of Gawker. And um, yeah. so a lot of those national blogs and stuff like that weren't, were just getting their footing. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, they weren't really talking about it, you know. And so, and especially like national news, and then you have this blog, you know, that really is like, hey, here's this really fucking awful child suicide story. Yeah. And so we just, you know, I really kept it, um, I kept on to it because as somebody who had been bullied in high school and, you know, it's, it's, it was a mess. So yeah yeah that's terrible i'll include pictures because megan was just an absolutely adorable cutie pie and it's hard as hell being 13 god isn't it though and that is why i am so eternally grateful that social media did not exist when i was in high school me too me i don't know what kids do with these i don't know how they do it either because i literally I was like, it was bad enough that they could write mean shit in your yearbook. Oh, I know. Or just so, a rumor. Right. Oh, now the rumor's online. And even if no one sees that TikTok, you feel like everyone's right. seeing it. And you then, know what I'm saying? Like if, if someone exactly. gets on there and says, oh, so-and-so is, you know. Whatever. And when I left school, it's like everywhere. when you left school at the end of the day, unless you were calling each other on the phone or hanging out at over. somebody's house, it was done. Yeah, it mm-hmm. was over. They weren't in your pocket constantly. Yeah. Yeah. There was a bitch in my science class who was mean to me who will go unnamed because she did <laughs> message me a few years ago and apologize, which was weird. I was oh, like, are you going through AA or something? Like, why are we doing this now? But thank you. Um, yeah. But you know, it was done. And I only had to deal with her when we had science class again, or we would pass each other in the hall. And I was like, you know, I'm going to fight you one day. Uh, (laughs) I have not fought her. So I think that's why I haven't gone to any of the reunions. Cause there's a couple of people that I'm like, I would not fight you when I was 15. I'm going to fucking fight you now. (laughs) Put them up. It's on. You've got a pot belly. Now I'm in good shape. We're doing this. (laughs) Who's the fat bitch now? (laughs) So, yeah. yeah. So sad. And, I know. And that it's parents. And that's one thing. Like, kids bullying each other. And then, like, in Lori's story with teenagers just being erratic monsters that yeah. they are. But a grown-ass woman, like, 
what does she think about other girls and my daughter's social? Like, what the fuck is wrong with you, lady? Also, like, get a hobby. Yeah, get a hobby. Don't you have better things to do? Like, I don't know, work, pay bills, like literally anything but this. Like, I don't know. I feel like sometimes I'm overwhelmed by daily tasks like dishes and laundry. And it's like, right. <laughs> and I, I'm Who living has here by time myself. For I shouldn't this. say that on a national right. international podcast Girl, <laughs> i don't even want to talk about my laundry situation right now so you are I fine know, so this is like, a safe know, space like, i have i have all this stuff to do ma'am and you're raising a human being don't you have something right it's like how another human being and a child no less exactly and then to have the unmitigated gall to when they crushed your ping pong table which again they should have crushed your fucking face yeah, yeah call the cop well they destroyed my ping pong table bitch i'm fixing to wreck your head yeah <laughs> you know? yeah How about you? you're, you're like- lucky that's all i'm doing bitch exactly <laughs> yeah. i was like this is some suburban niceness because where i'm from you're getting your ass beat you know mm-hmm. this is they're gonna find you at the gas station and whoop your ass in front of everybody <laughs> yeah so this is awful if you good. have kids stay out of their business <laughs> like like, like- Teenagers no are assholes. No, exactly. To know, know if something sure unsafe, right? Don't, don't, but don't get into the drama. Don't get into right. the drama. I, like that's what I'm so petrified about. Like I don't want Sawyer having a cell phone. I mean, yeah, he's six. He right. But we got like, a ways. You know when he there's going to be a time where he needs one just so that you know I can yeah. communicate with right. him. But I don't want him on TikTok or Facebook. No. I don't want people bullying him because yeah. I will go mama bear. I will whoop up on some little, yeah. little bitch, bitch ass oh, kids. Yeah. <laughs> don't, don't like, test me. <laughs> I just, and that's, I don't you know, know I tell my nephews that. and niece, like, even like, okay, so my oldest nephew was in the Air Force. And during basic, there was this one kid who was just bullying him a little bit. And so when we were at his, his basic training graduation, he was pointing, I was like, is that the kid that was bullying you? Is, is, is that, it? he was like, <laughs> and I was just like, I will whoop this little shit's ass right yeah. here in front of your drill sergeant. <laughs> they go see where you got it from. Yeah. <laughs> Cause I don't care. I don't care. He just finished super lethal combat training. I'm gonna kick this kid's ass. Yeah. <laughs> well, and that goes back to, you know what? Be, be a nice human being. My God. Exactly. Yeah. You know, don't be an asshole. Hard to do? The bare minimum is to not be an asshole. Yeah. And if you can manage that in a day, you're doing good. I just, I don't understand what makes you do like, I don't know. I do, it, that makes me wonder about that mom. Like, were you also like angry that your daughter wasn't a cheerleader? Like, Probably. Right. Living like, vicariously like, through why your Why are you so like, emotionally no. invested in your kids' interpersonal relationships? Yes. Like friends come and go when you're a teenager the social circle I mean it just it is what it is even in my tiny ass town it was there was drums but it's teenage drama you just let them work it out and like it's and like you know Lori said as long as everyone's being safe and it's not getting too serious and we're not shooting people in the back of the head in the middle of the woods (laughs) let them sort it out even if they get into a fist fight let them sort it out maybe let him fight it out maybe i'm a little too hands off but i'm kind of like 
that's what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to exactly learn how to deal with people when they have issues with them. Right. And they'll figure out real quick what works and what, what, what doesn't mm-hmm. like. Right. You know what and I mean? as so an like, adult, I can absolutely tell, like, especially in the workplace when I'm dealing with somebody whose parents never let them handle their own shit. Yep. Because they have no idea how to deal with you, mm-hmm. like on an mm-hmm. adult level and they yeah. immediately get passive aggressive or just straight up aggressive or just, and it's just like, we're grown ups, and we're yeah. going to disagree and we can do this in a healthy way yeah. or we can, you know, ca- and if we just plain don't like each other, we just plain don't like each other. And that's okay. As long that's as we okay. can work together. That's mm-hmm. okay. You, but you, you can tell civil. those people who just never had to fight it out for themselves and never had to figure out how to deal with a interpersonal relationship that's just not going well. Yeah. Or that somebody's not going to be your friend and it's like that's okay. Yeah, it's 100%. You don't have okay. to be friends with everybody. Not everybody mm-hmm. has to like you. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. As long as you're not out and out dicks to each other without reason, you're good. Yeah. Just make it work. You're not going to like everybody that comes into your space. Mm-mm. And you certainly shouldn't catfish people no, unless no. they're Mm-mm. pedos online. Then I support you catfishing <laughs> pedophiles online. Go, go off. Because as, like I said, a teenager who was online, there was definitely like 30-year-old men being like, oh, you're 15. I was like, hmm. I don't know that this is a good idea. <laughs> Can I tell you my fun, my funny, my space encounter that led to the best dream I've ever had in my life? Let's do it. So when I was on the MySpace back in the day. <laughs> yeah, I miss um, MySpace. Bring back MySpace 2022. Yeah. Um, I mean, I was in my 20s. It was not long after college. Right. Um, and some guy who is about my age. So, I mean, there was no illegal teenage right messing everyone around. was a grown-up yeah this guy was a grown-up um somehow found my page and like friended me and I'm like I don't know who you are but you're a dude so I'm like yeah sure I'll talk <laughs> to you, whatever you know when you don't have a lot of attention you'll talk to anybody exactly yeah and that was kind of what I was doing at the time anyway this dude starts talking to me I don't really think he's that cute and I'm like whatever I'll talk to him just scope him out we chatted enough back and forth that finally we got on a phone call together And literally the phone call was nothing but him telling me about all of his sexual exploits. Oh boy. I don't care. And I'm like, wow, you've had sex. Good for you. So so proud of you. Millions of other people. Like, (laughs) why should I be impressed over the fact that you have had the sex? Right. But literally he was a teacher somewhere and he was like, oh yeah, I've like had sex with my students parents in my classroom and oh my god I don't think that's a good idea but I'm like whatever but literally I can't get a word in edgewise and Uh he can tell I'm not impressed but whatever and then finally I'm like I get off the phone with him and I'm like fine whatever that night I have a dream that I am am having intercourse with (laughs) with this guy (laughs) and the next thing I know but that was very very brief it was very very brief part of the dream god then flash forward to, I'm in my apartment. I'm getting ready for work. This is all in a dream. And I'm massively pregnant. Massively. <gasps> is this, is this, this funny? Is, this is Colin. Yes. Okay. This is my Colin dream. Um, so if y'all have heard this, sorry, but I'm telling it for our podcast audience. Um, I'm massively pregnant. And all of a sudden it's like, oh gosh, I'm having the baby. Well, s- scream wipe new scene. I'm in 
um, another bedroom of my apartment and I'm giving birth to this baby with a midwife and I have the baby and she takes the baby and she's turned her back to me. And I'm like, okay, let me see my baby. Let me see my baby. Y'all please understand. I have no maternal instincts whatsoever. So, but I was really jammed to have this baby apparently. And she goes, well, there's something wrong with it. And I'm like, well, okay, I don't, I don't care. We'll take care of it. It's my kid. I don't just, I want to see him. And she's like, she turns around very slowly, very dramatically. And she goes, it's a rabbit. (laughs) I have been in my dream. I swear to God, y'all, this is the most like realistic dream I've ever had in my dream. I knew that the guy had rabbit sperm and that is how I was pregnant with a child, with a rabbit baby, beautiful little black baby, um, rabbit that I given birth to. And I start cussing out the midwife. I'm like, I don't care that he's a rabbit. He's my child. I'm going to love him regardless. Get out of here. If you can't take care of my baby and you can't love my baby, get out of here. So I love this little baby. And because this explains so much, this is so embarrassing. I was obsessed with the band, the Decemberists at the time. So (laughs) I go through all of these early 2000s. Yeah. I go through all of these names of what can I call this baby? Um, and I end up calling it, uh, Colin after Colin Malloy, the lead singer of the Decemberists. (laughs) So I have this baby rabbit, little black baby rabbit named Colin, and he's my baby. And I get my parents to come over and I'm telling them, I'm like, okay, this is your grandchild. Like, I don't care that he's a rabbit. He's your grandchild. You have to play with him. You have to like him. All of this. I buy Colin little clothes, like what you would fit on Cabbage Patch Kids, um, for him to wear. So he has a little bitty baby pair of jeans and a little bitty band t-shirts because he has all these different band t-shirts. Because, of course, I would be the kid or I'd be the mom that dresses my kid up in band t-shirts and chucks, right? Fast forward to the end of the dream. We are going to have family portraits made. (laughs) I'm at a (laughs) photography studio. And I'm holding Colin. And I'm texting baby rabbit sperm daddy. And I'm like, okay, where are you? We're about to, you know, he's wrapping up with the people ahead of us. We've, we've got to go get our picture made. Like, where are you? You need to be here. And he's not writing back. And all of a sudden I have this just clear realization. He's never going to show up. I'm a single mother. And I think to myself, <laughs> I'm the single mother of a rabbit named Colin. And that just <laughs> jolted me out of bed. And I woke up and I'm like, what? <laughs> Well, there was a lady and all of that because of MySpace. Oh my God. (laughs) There was a lady and I think Poland or Eastern Europe that was running a scam where she was giving birth to babies. This was way back. This was like in the 16 or 1700s or something or or, or before that. I remember. Oh yeah. It's like way back. Yeah, and she. I was like, now she knows the the new. <laughs> I know because ah! when I read that one time, I was like, oh, this woman gave birth to rabbits. So I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> I thought I was the only one who did that, <laughs> but then it was she was a scam. She was a scam. Yeah, yeah she was that. scamming. But it was pretty but, easy to do in like the 1600s. <laughs> yeah, you go get some dead rabbits and, and shove them up, up your dress. Yeah. Which is disturbing. Either way, yeah. I hope you have enjoyed this very disturbing episode of Cemetery Row. Exactly. Yes. Like we were like, let's have a Valentine's Day episode. And this and has we been the, the darkest most... episode ever. And yes. it ends with a baby rabbit. 
Yes. Well, because in my memories, I had where I had, um, I was remembering when we did a Valentine's Day spread for our college newspaper, and you did Yay Love, and I did Love Stinks. So <laughs> all of my recommendations were awful. And so one of my recommendations for like an anti Valentine's Day movie was American Psycho. <laughs> and I was, it was in one of my history classes, and the guy behind me who I like low key had a crush on was reading the article so I was like listening in I was like what's yeah. he saying and he's like American Psycho is a terrible Valentine's Day movie and I was like dude motherfucker that was the point yeah. <laughs> yeah. I maintained that crush even though he was stupid because he had a really good butt <laughs> priorities yes for sure yes well, y'all, right. if you have fun, crazy dreams you'd like to share with us, <laughs> please, please reach out. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Cemetery Row Pod, or you can send us an email to cemeteryrowpod at gmail.com. Woohoo! Yay. Thank you for hanging in. This is a longer than usual episode. I think yes. that that's okay because we have very interesting stories. We were very chatty. Yes. yes. We were. Apparently, we all um, had some caffeine this morning. I had a very strong coffee. Yeah. So, yeah, thanks for hanging out. And we will see you next week when we discuss animals who mourned their humans. Yes. Yes. Gonna get me very sad, but happy. Sweet. Yeah. And we love animals. Yes. And we know you guys love our animal episode. So, yes. Yep. All right. Bye. Bye. Bye.